On this day 23 years ago, the Chinese Communist Party officially started clamping down on Falun Gong. We hear from someone who practices the meditation discipline on how he refused to back down in the face of persecution. At the same time, events across the U.S. are raising awareness about the continued persecution, and lawmakers in Washington are showing their support. It's long been believed that Beijing holds major influence over the NBA. Now, a star athlete turned activist is pointing to certain recordings as proof of that suspicion. And an official Chinese report says at least 10 new COVID-19 variants have been detected in the past two weeks. Authorities are calling it a warning sign of a surge. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. On this day 23 years ago, the Chinese Communist Party officially banned spiritual practice Falun Gong, launching a nationwide suppression campaign against the meditation discipline. NDD's Chen Wu sat down with a Falun Gong practitioner to hear about what he endured inside a Chinese labor camp and how he found the strength to keep going. The situation was really one of life or death. Is it worth giving up my life for justice? This is the question Stephen Yu asked himself when the Chinese Communist Party began its suppression campaign on Falun Gong on July 20th, 1999. But to understand his story, let's start from the beginning. Yu began practicing the spiritual discipline in 1998 after witnessing the miraculous recovery of a friend's mother. Miss Sun was in a critical condition at that time. She had a herniated cervical disc and was on the verge of death. I went to visit because I wanted to say goodbye, thinking it might be the last time we would see each other. But to my surprise, she radiated health. She practically jumped up when I saw her and gave me the book, Zhuan Falun. Zhuan Falun is the primary book of teachings of the Falun Dafa practice. When it was published in 1996, it became a national bestseller in China. I felt like this was something I had been looking for my whole life. When in high school, I was actually already thinking about this. My studies were very intense at the time, and I asked myself if my life would always be in this state. I asked myself, why am I trying so hard in my studies? Is it to achieve some high job position or get rich? But after I read Drumfather, I came to understand the true purpose of life, that is to improve oneself and eventually return to where we came from, to heaven. The discipline spread quickly across China. In seven years, an estimated 70 to 100 million people were practicing, making it one of the largest spiritual communities in the country. But in 1999, the communist regime deemed the practice's popularity a threat to its power and launched a brutal persecution campaign targeting Falun Gong. On July 22nd, you and other Falun Gong practitioners were taken into custody by police for half a day. He said that at the time, he deeply reflected on the situation and resolved not to give up the practice no matter what. I thought about how a person's life is not valued based on its length. Rather, its value comes from its greater meaning. Even if a person only has a few days to live, if the light he emits can illuminate the entire universe and shine a light into the darkness, then it was a life worth living. 
In 2000, Yu was again arrested and taken to Chaoyang Go labor camp. He was detained there for around a year. The sanitary conditions were very poor. So many of us were covered with scabies. One practitioner was beaten with wooden boards by non-practitioner inmates. He had all the scabies scars on his body targeted so they would burst open. Then the guards let him grow new ones. They tortured him this way. They would pry off his toenails. By torturing you little by little, they hope to make you come to the evil side and say bad things about Falun Dafa. Falun Dafa is another name for Falun Gong. Yu explained why he never gave up. If I, for the sake of living comfortably, gave way to them and said bad things about Falun Dafa, then wouldn't that make me the same as those creating the lies? If I gave in to their demands, I would no longer be able to look at myself in the mirror. I wouldn't be able to face what kind of person I would have become. I would rather choose death. After several attempts, Yu was finally able to leave China earlier this year. He arrived in the United States in March. Upon coming to America, I can now, in Chinese or English, tell my story to anyone who is interested. I'm no longer afraid of being taken away by police or of having my calls listened in on. I think that I'm very fortunate, but at the same time, I'm quite disheartened because I don't know how many of my fellow practitioners are currently being illegally incarcerated and tortured, and they could lose their lives at any point. Yu says he will continue sharing his story and working to expose the Chinese Communist Party's persecution of Falun Gong. Chen Wu, NTD News. Other events also taking place across the country looking to bring awareness to the continued persecution of Falun Gong in China. Here are the details on a few of them and how lawmakers in Washington are showing their support. Tortured, beaten, imprisoned, killed and ostracized. These and other abuses are some of what Falun Gong practitioners routinely suffer in China. And the Chinese Communist Party has largely covered them up for the past 23 years. The U.S. State Department stated Thursday that the persecution is unacceptable and must end. Also on Thursday, to commemorate the anniversary of the start of the persecution and raise awareness about it, Falun Gong practitioners from around the United States gathered at the nation's capital. Ahead of the rally in Washington, Senator John Bozeman commended them for their perseverance, saying, your struggle for religious freedom has been nothing short of an inspiration to those around the world who respect freedom of religion. Rashad Hussein, the U.S. Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom, took to Twitter to voice support for the millions undergoing persecution in China. He wrote, I stand in solidarity with the Falun Gong community. Thousands have been tortured, harassed, imprisoned, and forced to renounce their beliefs. This unjust campaign must end. Senator Ron Johnson similarly applauded those who practice Falun Gong for their continued persistence in the face of what he called the intensive, comprehensive, and unforgiving campaign the regime has waged on faith. Congressman Stephen Lynch wrote in a letter that the horrific reports of atrocities targeting Falun Gong practitioners in China are a reminder for the outside world to act, and that so long as the Chinese government engages in these egregious violations of basic human rights, we cannot and will not stand idly by. The continued campaign of torture has drawn growing condemnation toward the Chinese regime worldwide. 
And now to NBA free agent and human rights activist Ennis Freedom. He's been working to expose how the Chinese communist regime has influenced the North American Pro Basketball League. And this week, he appeared on the Tucker Carlson show and broke down what he believes is proof that Beijing is funding the NBA. And it is Dave Martin has more. Enos Freedom has an insider's view of the NBA after playing 11 years in the league. He's criticized the NBA for supporting Black Lives Matter while remaining silent on human rights atrocities committed abroad by brutal regimes like the Chinese Communist Party. The 30-year-old, who's also been outspoken with the shoes he's worn on the court that feature phrases like free Tibet, free China, and free the Uyghurs, was released by the Houston Rockets in February. He's been unsigned ever since. His stance on China's human rights issues, instead of his play on the court, has been assumed to be the reason why, as Freedom's games were banned from being shown in China, a major business partner of the NBA. Wednesday night on Tucker Carlson, the show featured a recording of NBA Players Association lawyer Ron Klempner discussing what specifically was the problem. I got the phone with the general counsel of the NBA, and he wants to now have a conversation about the, his, their concern right now is not so much what you are saying off the court, but what it is that you're saying on the court when you step onto the court. Also featured was a recording of NBA Commissioner Adam Silver about the problem with Freedom's shoes. You're not breaking any rule in terms of the shoes. There's no rule I'm aware of that you're violating now. I, to me, it, you know, I think it's also, look, at the end of the day, we're also a business. Freedom then came on the show and said, quote, this is the evidence of how a 100% American-made company is run by the Chinese dictatorship. The six-foot-eleven free agent remains unsigned. The NBA's season starts on October 19th. Dave Martin, NTD News. Next, let's turn to central China, where numbers of new COVID-19 infections have reached a two-month peak. That comes as the country grapples with a heat wave. Chinese authorities reported over 1,000 new COVID-19 cases Thursday. That's according to data from China's National Health Center. Based on Beijing's history of under-reporting pandemic figures, the number of cases could be much higher. Those new cases mark a record high since May. Many of the reported infections are now showing up in the country's central regions, shifting inland from major coastal or near-coastal hubs like Beijing and Shanghai. Those cities saw outbreaks earlier this year. But there's another issue. Under China's zero-tolerance policy toward the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19, many cities that have discovered new cases are facing partial or full lockdowns. And it's all happening during a heat wave. A number of regions are seeing temperatures soar above a scorching 107 degrees Fahrenheit or 42 degrees Celsius. On top of that, in the first half of 2022, China has seen dramatic economic losses due to months-long lockdowns. The country's manufacturing and supply chains severely hit, and many foreign companies are shifting their factories out of China to cope. A new virus surge may have started in China, with at least 10 new Omicron variants detected within two weeks. That's according to an official report from this week. 
As for now, China says all 10 new variants come from outside its borders. Their origins reportedly include the U.S., India and some countries in Europe. Take China's southwestern city of Chengdu, which reported a new variant on Sunday. Officials say it was first spotted in the U.S. earlier this year and that it had played a dominant role in local transmissions. The report quoted a Chinese public health expert, saying China must take hard measures from both ends by blocking any chance of importing cases while sticking to its strict zero COVID-19 policy domestically. The report warns not to take the variants lightly, noting the strains may not cause severe symptoms for most people, but they can more easily evade the immune system, spread quickly and develop into more new variants. Even our rights to grieve have been taken away. That's what one resident had to say on the anniversary of last year's severe flood in a central Chinese metropolis. As for how many were killed during the disaster, it still remains a mystery. Let's take a closer look. Wednesday marks the one-year anniversary of the Zhengzhou flood. But Chinese citizens say they're being blocked from publicly mourning. This time last year, the city of Zhengzhou was largely underwater. In one of the worst recorded incidents, hundreds of passengers and long lines of vehicles got trapped inside a road tunnel as it filled with flood water. It happened within a matter of minutes. Speculation of a cover-up remains, as the disaster's death toll is still uncertain a year later. Now there's no truth in this society. Say, how many people died in Zhengzhou? The official number is 400, but some say 40,000 or 4,000. They're all different. It's too dark here, and the Chinese Communist Party is trying its best to cover up the truth. And this year, authorities may be clamping down on memorials for the victims. One internet user shared his experience online, saying he booked flowers and planned to visit the tunnel after work. That's when he got a call from the flower shop informing him of a notice, quote, from above, likely meaning it came from Chinese authorities. The notice revealed that businesses across the city had been banned from selling flowers for mourning purposes. Stores were also asked to confirm flower buyers' reason for purchase one by one. Here's what another resident had to say. It's normal to commemorate a deceased relative or friend, but the Communist Party thinks it endangers its ruling. If you hold this kind of mourning activity, it will bring back people's memories. That's exactly what they fear. Following the news, some have said even their right to grieve has been taken away. Coming up, to protect the democratically ruled island of Taiwan and the interests of the U.S., lawmakers are again calling for deterring the Chinese regime. And Keith Kroc breaks down why Taiwan dispels a myth promoted by the Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. U.S. lawmakers are stepping up calls to deter the Chinese Communist Party. This as they cite increasing threats that Beijing poses to the democratically ruled island of Taiwan and also the United States. NTD's Iris Tao has more. As we have learned in Ukraine, deterrence comes before conflict, not after it. House GOP leader and members of the Congressional China Task Force are calling to boost arms sales to Taiwan and that they say it's for the good of the United States. We need to arm Taiwan right now. 
General MacArthur said Taiwan in the hands of the communists would be an unsinkable aircraft carrier and submarine base ideally located to accomplish offensive strategy. Thank you, Leader McCarthy. The Wednesday roundtable comes amid Beijing's warnings that it will take forceful actions if Nancy Pelosi indeed visits Taiwan to show support, a trip that Biden says the military thinks is not a good idea right now. But lawmakers say the U.S. has to deter mounting aggression from the communist regime. Hong Kongers being beaten by police, Uyghurs men, women and children forced into concentration camps, um, and Taiwanese citizens being threatened with military incursion. The CCP has shown itself to be ruthless, aggressive and evil dictatorship. They're also backing legislation to avoid delays in delivering U.S. arms already sold to Taiwan. Before the bullets start flying and people start dying, uh, we will avert a war, but uh, we've got to move quickly. His speed is life in that regard. Meanwhile, President Biden said Wednesday, I think I'll be talking to President Xi within the next 10 days. And I asked Congressman Guy Reschenthaler, how do you think the issue of Taiwan could be brought up? Well, the issue should be brought up and there should be no doubt uh, with the PLA and with the Chinese Communist Party that the United States will act to defend Taiwan. And the message to the dictator Xi should be clear that we will support a sister democracy. Biden has on several occasions said the U.S. would defend Taiwan in an attack from China. But White House officials have walked back such remarks. And now it's unclear whether Biden's plans to talk to Xi will be affected by the president testing positive for COVID. Reporting Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. And the Senate moved to advance the CHIPS Act earlier this week. The bill is designed to boost U.S. semiconductor production as an antidote to dependence on China. Stephania Cox at NTD Evening News spoke with former Undersecretary of State Keith Kroc to understand more about this and the U.S.'s role in protecting Taiwan and democracy more broadly. Keith Kroc, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. The Senate this week passed the CHIPS Act to boost U.S. production of semiconductors. I'd like to first get your impression of the bill. Do you think it has the potential to cut the U.S.'s dependence on China and Taiwan for these chips? Well, I think this is one of the most important uh, bills that we have because the semiconductor industry is so critical. It's the underlying foundation. It's the most important uh, industry, and I really believe that it does. China is absolutely obsessed, Secretary Xi is absolutely uh, obsessed with the semiconductor business. You know, one of the things that, that we did uh, two years ago when I was under Secretary of State was onshore TSMC, the, the most advanced semiconductor manufacturing uh, company in the world. And that ended up to be a $12 billion onshore. And, it, and not only did it uh, bring along their ecosystem, but also it was the catalyst to write the CHIPS Act uh, with Senator Warren and Senator Corn. And uh, without this bill, it will be really tough to bring uh, United States semiconductor manufacturing back to the U.S. because all these other countries uh, subsidize them. So I think this is absolutely critical. Let's say the CHIPS Act is signed into law and the U.S. increases its semiconductor manufacturing. Do you think the U.S. could lose interest in helping Taiwan protect its national security? Absolutely not. I think what it will do, Stephanie, is it will strengthen it. I mean, look, 
Taiwan is a linchpin uh, for democracy. It's a role model uh, for freedom. To General Secretary Xi, uh, Taiwan dispel, dispels his myth that the Chinese culture can't live under a democracy and he wants it destroyed. So anything that we can do to strengthen our relationship uh, with Taiwan is critical. President Biden said on Wednesday that either he or the military opposes House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's expected visit to Taiwan. That's after China threatened forceful measures against the U.S. if she went. What's your take? Do you think she should go? Well, absolutely, I think uh, Speaker Pelosi should go. You know, in September 2020, I was the highest-ranking State Department official to visit Taiwan in 41 years. I was greeted with 40 fighters and bombers. And, and the purpose was to show support for Taiwan, as well as strengthen the ties by doing the economic prosperity partnership uh, with Taiwan and also a science and technology agreement, ideally leading up to some type of a uh, formal trade relationship. And, you know, there's nothing more that General Secretary Xi fears than a united United States. So I think this is important. And, you know, one of the things I said when I got sanctioned by the Chinese Communist Party for our national security initiatives was, look, I'm not going to bend a, a need Emperor Xi, and I don't think anybody should. And why is Taiwan so important to democracy, as you've mentioned? Well, I think, you know, there's a number of reasons. Number one, from a security standpoint, um, you know, they are in a strategic location, no question about it. Number two is from a prosperity standpoint. They're the eighth largest economy in uh, in Asia. They are also, uh, you know, obviously home to the most important industry in terms of their semiconductor manufacturing capabilities. Plus, they're a good friend, um, and they they are an absolute linchpin that stands for freedom. So, uh, Taiwan's uh, independence is really important. You've said that the U.S. should recognize Taiwan as an independent nation before Xi Jinping pulls a Putin. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, so if you think about it, uh, with, with Putin's uh, uh, atrocities that he's committing in Ukraine, he's saying that if the United States comes in there and helps him out, he's got his finger on, on a nuclear weapon. Because he, like Xi, rewrote uh, uh, history by saying, hey, it's all Ukraine's always been part of uh, Russia. It hasn't. Either has Taiwan been part of China. So he's claiming legitimacy. And that's something that uh, by recognizing them for what they are, an independent democratic nation, uh, uh, that takes that legitimacy away from Xi. Keith Kroc, former Undersecretary of State and 2022 Nobel Peace Prize nominee. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Stephanie. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ndd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. Presenting the heritage of traditional Chinese martial arts, promoting martial ethics, and reviving the true tradition. The 2022 NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition Preliminaries will be held in New York and Taiwan.
on August 28th. The finals will be broadcast live online worldwide. Registration hotline 1-88-477-9228. For more information, please visit martialarts.ntdtv.com.